Hello, good morning. I'm so glad that you could be here. Let's go ahead and begin with a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. We thank you for what your word does, Lord, that it goes in to our hearts and brings forth life. Lord, that your word is eternal, that it will not fade, that it has all the authority that we need for life and godliness. Lord, I pray that we would not only esteem your word, but that we would take your word into our hearts, that we would seek to live by the words of your mouth, that we would continue in your word, Lord. So I pray that we would give a great place to your word. And we ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. You may be seated because I hope you stood while we prayed. I, um, I love King Josiah, and there's so much to learn from King Josiah's life. But what I believe that we learn most from King Josiah's life is the importance of the word of God. Again, Hebrews 4, verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. In other words, God's word is living. It has life in itself. It has seed-bearing life. When you remember in Genesis, all the trees that God made, we're told that the fruit of the trees had in them the potential to bring forth more trees. The Word of God, we're told in Matthew chapter 13, is like that seed that a sower spreads on the ground. In itself, in the seed is the potential to bring forth more life. In Isaiah 55, God says, so is my word that goes forth out of my mouth. It has, God is saying, that potential to bring forth life. The power is in the word itself. It's alive. It's living. Not only Does living have to do with the potential inside and within the word itself? But it also speaks of the relevance. God's word, the Bible that we read, that we study, is relevant for whatever we are going through. Have you ever felt that your life is lived according to biblical proportions? You're reading Josiah and you're like, oh, that's what I went through. Or you found as we're going through the lineage of the kings, something in you that relates to each king or the experience of each king? Why is that? It's because the word of God is living. In other words, it's relevant. When I was recently speaking in Spain through an interpreter, which was really quite an experience, one of the young girls came up afterwards and said, I had no idea that the Bible had such relevance for my life. In other words, when this young girl began to see that the Bible could speak to her in her present circumstances, her conclusion was, I want to read the Bible. I want to know the Bible. So the Bible is living in that it has the potential inside of it. It is living in that it is relevant to our lives. It is living in that it is the right word and right answer for life and godliness. Peter says in 2 Peter 1, 3, that in the word, in the knowledge of God, which the Bible gives us the knowledge of God, who he is, what he is, what he's done, what he is doing, what he's going to do, 
in that knowledge is everything that we need for life on earth. Everything that we need to be godly, to be spiritual, to walk with God. So we see again, it's living. It's living in that it grows in our hearts and brings forth fruit. According to Matthew chapter 13, again, that parable of where the seed was sown. So it has this potential. But Hebrews 4.12 also says that it's not only living, but it's powerful. It can work in others' hearts where we cannot. My dad used to always say, whatever you do, give people the word of God. Because the word of God is eternal. The word of God will work in a way that you cannot work. It will say what you cannot say. It will do in others what you cannot do. God's word is powerful in that it works in our own lives. As we begin to study the word, as we begin to read the word, um, and begin to meditate, think about God's word, it begins to transform us. It transforms the way we think. It transforms our priorities. It transforms the way we do things. So God's word is powerful. In the life of Josiah, <laughs> Josiah, I like that. In the life of Josiah, we see the power of God's word to convict, to covenant, or to bring someone into a covenant with God to cleanse, um, and to bring celebration or joy. Also, in the life of Josiah, we see the consequences when we do not continue in the Word of God, when we don't continue to show that sensitivity to the Word of God. After two long dynasties of destructive behavior, Manasseh's dynasty, 55 years, Ammon's dynasty two years, we see Josiah taking the throne at eight years old. There's no immediate godly influence that we can point to. Uh, We could presume or conjecture that perhaps a godly influence came through his mother. Her name was Jedidah. We learn in 2 Kings 22.1, that name means beloved of God. It's the same name that God gave to Solomon when he was born in 2 Samuel 12, 24. And it does mean beloved of God. So perhaps there was a godly influence from his mother. On the other hand, we're told that Manasseh, in, um, I believe it was the 52nd year of his reign, he had been imprisoned in Babylon. There he repented and came back to know the Lord. And so he comes back and he starts these godly reforms in Judah. So this would have been approximately the time that Josiah was born. So perhaps there was some story like, hey, Grandpa Manasseh is getting out of prison. And the Manasseh that Josiah knew was a reformed Manasseh, was a humble Manasseh, was a grandfather that sought to cleanse the land and sought to walk with God. So all that cleansing that Josiah no doubt saw his grandpa do, you know, from the ages of, let's say, two to six. And then at six years old, his father taking the throne because his grandfather Manasseh died and desecrating and ruining all the reforms that Manasseh had started to do, all the restoration spiritually that Manasseh had started undone by Ammon. But Ammon, of course, died. He was only allowed to do his destruction for two years. 
Josiah takes the throne at eight years old. We're told that when he's 16 years old, he begins to seek God. He's got this hunger and he's got this thirst for God. And he began to purge the land at 20 years old, 12th year of his reign. Now, I think Josiah is so typical of those who want to walk with God. They have this hunger for God. But until you get the word of God, you don't know how to walk with God. I know that Brian told me that before he was saved, this hunger to walk with God came upon him. And so he sought to cleaning up his way. He's, you know, he's like, I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to smoke. I'm not going to be immoral anymore. I'm going to stop that behavior. He had this conviction about the way he was living and he decided to cleanse, to purge, but he didn't go far enough in the purging in some areas. And in other areas, he went too far. He, he got rid of things that God didn't really care about. He said during that time, he said, Oh, I'm not going to surf. And I don't think God cared about whether Brian surfed or not. But see, when we don't have the word of God, we will purge too much in the wrong areas and not clean up in the right areas. And that's what happens when we are trying to seek the Lord or clean up our ways so we can seek the Lord when we don't have the instruction of the word of God. I've heard many people who have said, well, I'm going to walk with the Lord when I start living right. Years ago, when I was um, young, I had a friend. And my friend used to say, Cheryl, when I get older, I'm going to live just like you. When I get older, I want to do all these bad things first. But as soon as I'm through with these, I'm going to clean up my act, and then I'm going to be like you. You know, sad to say, my girlfriend died at 27 years old of AIDS without the opportunity to ever know the word of God. You see, God wants to do the cleansing in us, and he wants to the direction of the cleansing. But we know that Josiah fell under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. But now, as this purging is going on in Jerusalem, the purging extends to the temple of the Lord. Again, we'll read later about more extensive purging after they got the word of God. But this cleansing begins in the temple. And while they're working in the temple, Hilkiah, the high priest, is given the word of God. The workmen find these scrolls that contain the books of Genesis to Deuteronomy. And they give these books to Hilkiah or these scrolls to Hilkiah. Hilkiah then gives them to Shaphan, the scribe or the historian during Josiah's time. He begins to read these scrolls to Josiah. Now, I want you to remember what these scrolls would have contained. They would have contained the book of Genesis, which would have told about God's creation of the world, God's creation of animals, God's creation of mankind. It would have spoken of original sin and God's redemption of Adam and Eve. It would have talked about the curse of sin. These books would have talked about the uh, flood of Noah, God again cleansing of sin. These books would have talked about the choosing of Abraham, about Abraham's life, about Isaac's life about Jacob's life, about the 12 tribes of Israel. 
about Joseph, these books that Josiah was listening to would have talked about the call of Moses, the bondage of Israel, their deliverance. And then these books would have given instruction for how Israel, out of gratitude for God's grace, God's deliverance, and God's gift, was to live. You see, the law of God or the instructions of God are response of ours to the goodness of God because God is our creator, because God is our sustainer, because God is our deliverer, because God is our gift giver. We respond to God by saying, what do you want of me? How can I obey you? How can I please you? How can I bless you? It's interesting to realize that this book or these scrolls, which are called the book of the law of Moses, had been lost for some time. How long had they been lost? Probably they had been lost sometime after the reign of Hezekiah during the reign of Manasseh. At this time, too, we learned through our passages this week that the Ark of the Covenant had been taken out of the temple. No doubt it had been taken out of the temple to preserve it from desecration by Manasseh, to protect it from the wicked rule of Manasseh and Ammon. And so what had happened then is that the priest had again begun to bear it on their shoulders. Whenever the word of God is taken out of the church or the temple or our lives, the effect is confusion and corruption is inevitable. When you take the word of God out, what happens is every man then does what is right in his own eyes because we cannot hear from God. So we're doing what we think God wants us to do. This is a very dangerous place. Very, very dangerous because then culture is telling us what to do or the dictates of our hearts are telling us what to do. The scripture goes against our natural nature. Your nature will never tell you how to please God. Only God's word can tell you how you can please God. So the first thing that happens when God's word is taken out of his church, out of his temple, out of our hearts, out of a nation is confusion. This confusion about what is right, what is wrong, what is truth. Is there truth? That's what ensues. Next, corruption is inevitable. It is in the hierarchy. It is in the people themselves. This has been the history of the church through the ages. Whenever the gospel, the word of God, was lost to the church, there was confusion and corruption. But When the word of God returned to the church, there was revival and blessing. You see that in the 1300s with uh, Wycliffe when he uh, received the word of God and began to uh, translate it into the language of the people. And the word of God returned to the people, returned to the church. There was a cleansing. When the word of God uh, came to Martin Luther and he translated the Bible into the German language, And the word of God was again found by the church and the people. We have what was called the Reformation Movement, which was a huge revival in Germany that spread to England. You've got Tyndale translating the Bible into English in the 1500s. And a revival breaks out in England that even death and persecution could not stop. But it's the word of God. When the word of God 
is found. We're told that Josiah was convicted. He felt his own culpability. Conviction is felt. And that's what Josiah felt. He, you feel it, that, that burning sensation in your heart, that, that, that burden, that heaviness of I am doing what is wrong. And he recognized not only his own guilt, but he recognized the jeopardy that the nation was in. In other words, the conviction caused Josiah to see where he was wrong and that his attempts at pleasing God were not entirely right. Though he wanted to please God, though he was trying to please God, he saw that it wasn't working out like he thought. When we're convicted, we realize that that God has a different way. And that we need to do things God's way. Josiah realized that God is not interested in just the end objective. But in the way that objective is reached. God cares not only about what is done. But the way things are done. We cannot serve God as we want to. That doesn't work. God must be served according to his instructions on how to serve him. Josiah responded to this conviction by humbling himself. In other words, he bowed to God's ways and did not insist that God condescend to the way he wanted to do things. He acknowledged God's good deeds. We're told that he tore his clothes. This was a visible sign of grief at how he had lived, of how he had missed the mark. We're told the word sin in the New Testament is harmatia, which means to miss the mark. And that's what Josiah realized. As good as he had been trying to be, he had missed the mark. He had sinned, and he was deserving of the wrath of God, as was the nation of Judah. Josiah believed the word of God. That conviction that he felt, he believed and he responded to that conviction by believing the word. This conviction caused him to want to seek to understand more of the word of God. And that's what conviction of the word of God will do. It will cause us to hunger and thirst for more of the word of God. We want more clarity in the word of God. We want more direction. We want more instruction. Tell me more. I want to live my life by this. And that's what the word of God will do as it comes in and convicts. So in our text, we find that he sent Hilkiah, Abdon, Shaphan, and Asaiah to inquire of the Lord. Now, it's interesting to me that the only person they found to inquire of in Jerusalem was a woman, but she was a prophetess. Her name was Huldah. And Huldah gave clarity and application to what was written in the word. She said, thus says the Lord in Second Chronicles chapter 34, thus says the Lord God of Israel, tell the man who sent you to me, 
Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring calamity on this place and on its inhabitants. All the curses that are written in the book, which they have read before the king of Judah, because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore, my wrath will be poured out on this place and not be quenched. Interesting to note that at this time that these words were given, there was no visible threat to Judah. No visible threat. But even though there was no visible threat, Josiah felt this conviction and knew it was inevitable. And we find that exactly what the Lord said happened. You know, people will go on living and living and living, not realizing that they are under the wrath of God and it falls suddenly. But conviction allows you to see the danger of your ways and to realize if I continue in this direction, the wrath of God will hit. It will come. It is inevitable. And though Josiah could not see any outward forms or outward signs of the wrath of God, it was the conviction of the word of God that said, yes, it is coming and it is inevitable because of this lifestyle that has been chosen by Josiah that was chosen by the previous kings. She also had a personal word from God for Josiah. And as for the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord, in this manner you shall speak to him. Thus says the Lord God of Israel concerning the words which you have heard. Because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before me and you tore your clothes and wept before me, I also have heard you, says the Lord. Surely I will gather you to your fathers and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace and your eyes shall not see all the calamity which I will bring on this place and its inhabitants. Josiah received this word from God with humility and tenderness. That shows true conviction. To receive the word humbly, to say, yes, this word is true, it applies to me, and I receive it. The opposite of humility is the resistance of the word of God. I don't need this word. I'm not receiving this word. I'm not going to live by this word. I don't need this word. That's the opposite. But what Josiah did was humble himself. In other words, say, yes, this word is true, and I need it, and I'm going to bring it into my life. We're also told that he was tender. God saw that Josiah's heart was tender. He was sensitive to the word of God. He was seen and heard by God. He would be spared from seeing the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. He would die or go to the grave when there was still peace in Jerusalem, when there still was no threat to the livelihood of Jerusalem. God also said that he would be gathered to his forefathers. In other words, he would live again. There would be life after life as he sat with his forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David. This would be the company of men that Josiah would be with for eternity. This conviction of God's word led to a covenant with God. You see, the only way to make a covenant with God is through the word of God. 
the Old Testament covenant was all based on the word of God. Again, these books of the law given to Moses. But we enter a covenant with God through the ultimate word of God. That word of God that was made flesh and came and dwelt among us. And that's the covenant. So Josiah made a public commitment to God in the Lord's presence, we're told in chapter 34. I love the fact that it says, in the Lord's presence. Though there were others that were present at my wedding when I married Brian Broderson, my father was there and my brother performing the ceremony. My mother was sitting in the audience. Um, most of the uh, congregants at Calvary were there. But ultimately, that covenant that I made with Brian was before God. And ultimately, the covenant we make is before God. But it has also this private covenant that we make with God has a very public aspect to it because the commitment we make to God is seen and witnessed by others. When Josiah made this covenant, we're told that he stood by the post or the pillar, made this covenant before God in the Lord's presence. But the Levites and the priests and the residents of Jerusalem were there. They could see it and hear it. Because God's word in us cannot be hidden. It will always be evidenced. Jesus said, a city that is built on a hill cannot be hidden. And so when his light goes in us, it cannot be hidden. Jesus also said that if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. This private commitment, this private covenant, is publicly seen. What follows Josiah's commitment to do the covenant with God in 2 Chronicles 34, 31 is the specifics. One, in this covenant, he covenants with God to follow the Lord. That means to go wherever God is going, to be his servant, to be in the Lord's presence. That's what it is to follow. Next, he covenants to keep God's commands, to do as God says. Then he covenants to keep his decrees, and that's to follow God's rules, to, again, it's, it's a covenant of obedience, to keep his statutes or God's principles. This is such a great um, tool for when we're trying to discern what God's will is. You want something that does not go against God's commands. You want something that does not go against God's statutes or decrees. Now, statutes are God's principles. Sometimes we can't exactly find the specifics of what we're supposed to do. So when we can't, we go to the greater principles. We go to the principle that God is good, that God always does good, that God wants to save lives, that God loves truth. These are God's principles. Uh, the principle that God desires mercy and not sacrifice. We go to these principles and we allow the principles or the statutes of God to guide us. And this is the covenant that Josiah is 
entering. He says, I'm going to keep these. These are going to be my guides for life. Not only does Josiah commit to these things, but he also commits to do them with all his heart. In other words, he's going to be intentional about this. We need to be intentional about our covenant with God. I was uh, reading um, an Instagram that I saw the other day, and it was so precious. Um, One of my friends was thanking the Lord for her marriage to her husband, and she was saying that one of the aspects that had brought blessing into their marriage was the fact that they were intentional, both of them, about investing in their marriage. And if that is the cause for a great marriage, how much more when we become intentional about our covenant with God, about keeping our covenant with God. How great is that? So he also covenanted to commit to God with all his soul, with all his being, with his will, and and with his desire, wanting his desires to be God's desires. I love that scripture in Philippians chapter 2 where it says that the spirit of God works in us to will and to do of his good pleasure. In other words, the Spirit of God makes us want to do the will of God. This covenant that we enter in with God, the word kesed in Hebrew, C-H-E-S-E-D, is a word of covenant. It is what God has done for us. He's entered into this covenant Um, It's also used for marriage. It's what we've entered into. It's a life covenant. Next, we see that the word of God moved in Josiah. First convicting, next committing or covenanting with God, but next to convince others. You know, when you know the truth of the word of God, you want everyone to know, and you you set about convincing others. You're calling them, and you're like, you've got to know Jesus. You've got to know Jesus because this is right. This is good. This is the way. There's health. There's blessing. And we want to save others from the destruction, from the wrath that we know is impending, from the destruction of their sinful ways. We want to save them. We want to give them the value back to their life. So we try to convince them. Now, the convincing doesn't always go over well. There are people that are like, stay away from them. They are only talking Bible now. But it's that, it's that thing that happens in our heart as we read the word of God and we know the relevance, the reality, the blessing in the word of God. And so we're told that Josiah sought to convince all of Judah and Jerusalem to walk with God and to walk in God's word. And so they read the word of God out loud to the people that the people might enter into a covenant with God. Now we see God's word cleansing. We talked before that Josiah had begun reforms without God's word. And he had gone too far in certain reforms. Often, When we're trying to reform ourselves without the word of God, we'll call things evil that are not evil. Uh, 
there were those in church history that forbid marriage because all of a sudden they thought any relationship between a man and woman was evil. And because they didn't have the word of God as their guide and they didn't read Proverbs chapter 18, which says he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. They didn't read that from the beginning, God brought Eve to Adam and blessed their union. They didn't read the word of God. They didn't live in the word of God. It was not their guide. And so they got so far afield and they begin to call things wrong that God's not calling wrong and never has called wrong. They forbid um, the eating of certain foods because they were away from the word of God. So they said on this day, you can't eat this certain food. We're told in Colossians that when you get away from the word of God, you start esteeming certain days above other days. And there are those that get mad at people for worshiping God at a certain day or celebrating birthdays or celebrating Christmas. Why? Because the word of God has not become their standard because the word of God has been lost to them. But when the word of God becomes your standard, you don't go too far with the cleansing. You realize that God has created all things, all things for our enjoyment. And as C.S. Lewis has said, it's not that men ask for too much. It's that they settle for too little. They settle for lesser things when God wants to give them so much more. And what happens is without the word of God, we deal with issues that are really of no concern to God. And yet we do not deal with the issues of the greatest concern with God. Jesus said to the Pharisees, you tithe mint and rue and these little things, but you've left off mercy and justice and love. You've forgotten what is the most important. But now Josiah, with the word of God as his authority and guide, he begins to cleanse the temple, Jerusalem, and the land of Israel. And what does he cleanse it of? He cleanses it of idolatry, the worship of any other thing but God. He cleanses it of pagan practices, those things that the people had started doing that were pagan practices. He cleansed it of, or he destroyed the beings of those pagan practices. In other words, when he destroyed the altars, when he desecrated these altars, when he ground them to powder and sprinkled their ashes on the graves, he destroyed um, the ability of the people to remake these same statues. He got rid of any traces of this. As Paul says in Romans, make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. When we cleanse. We are to get rid of the idolatry in the heart. Anything that has had equality with God, anything that has led us away from God, we cleanse those old practices, those things that we used to do. And we get rid of the means for going back to those things. Um, I remember um, Brian, when he got saved, his music, some of the music he listened to, it had 
had stumbled him, had made him think thoughts that he shouldn't think. And one of the things that he did is he destroyed his vinyl records, because that's how old I am, his eight tracks, because that's how old we are, some of his cassette tapes, because we are so ancient. But those are some of the things that we got rid of. We didn't want to listen to that music. He didn't want to hear those things anymore. He wanted music that would make him think about Jesus Christ and all that Jesus had done for him. He wanted his mind filled with truth. And so he got rid of those practices. The work of God in us cleanses us from these things. And and it gets rid of the idolatry and the pagan practices. And it causes us to destroy the means for which to go back to those things. But notice that in the cleansing that Josiah did, it began at the temple and then went throughout Jerusalem and then into all of Israel. Just like the word of God, as it cleanses, will start in our own lives, in our temple, right here in our hearts, because we're told that our bodies are the temple of the living God. This is the first place of cleansing. God wants to cleanse our mind and our heart of those thoughts and the idolatry and the other things that used to compete for his intention his attention. Next from there, we go to our homes. We get rid of all the unhealthy things in our homes. We get rid of um, the the dirt, the the things, the idolatry, uh, maybe the, the movies, uh, the c- CDs, the DVDs. Uh, maybe even you've gotten rid of the television altogether out of your house because you're addicted and you'll just sit down and you'll watch things that are of no value, things that will uh, cause you to lust. You get rid of some of those old gross romantic novels that would get you thinking in the wrong terms and you bring truth into the house. So you get rid of the idolatry and the pagan practices and the means of those pagan practices out of your homes. Next, you begin to cleanse your environment. Um, Maybe this means a sacrifice of the friends that you've hung out with who bring you back down into your old practices or your old ways, those things that were destroying you. You have to cleanse your environment. God's work works in us to do exactly that. I had a friend. um, Her name is Lisa. I think she would like you knowing her story. But before she was a Christian, she had been an art dealer. And she had filled her house with all these objects of art. And once she got saved, she wanted a Bible study in her house. So she invited the pastor to come with all these people into her house and have a Bible study. Well, they came the first week. On the next week, just the pastor and his wife came. And she said, where are all the people? And he said, honestly, Lisa, your house is too stumbling for some of the young men. And they don't want to come in here. And she's like, stumbling? How is my house stumbling? Then she looked around. She had all these naked statues, naked pictures all over her house. So she thought, okay, I got to get rid of this. So at first she thought, okay, I'm going to sell it because they're worth a lot of money. But she said at the end she decided to have a bonfire and just get rid of them. Because the bonfire would help her so that nobody else would pick up these practices. Now once the cleansing came, Everyone came back into her house again, and it brings up my last point, what the word, second to last point, what the word of God does. It brings us to a celebration. Once you're convicted, you're committed, you're convincing others, and you're cleansed, 
you're ready to celebrate. And that's what happened. This celebration in chapter 35 ensued. Why? Because they were doing things God's way. And so they celebrated the Passover. The ark of God was returned to the temple. And the priests began to follow God's way of doing things in the temple. The people gathered together. They gave generously. Everyone was ministered to. They sacrificed with food and enthusiasm. Never done like this before. And it lasted seven days. No one wanted to stop. And we heard that they had music. They brought music and instruments that David had made back to the temple. And there was singing and rejoicing. When we do things according to God's word, there is celebration. Jeremiah, maybe even speaking of this very time, said in Jeremiah 15, 16, your words were found and I ate them and your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord of hosts, rather than a burden, God's word is a joy. When we live according to God's word, joint celebration are the outcome. It is not restricting, but keeps us from those things that would restrict us from the abundant life. Then continuance in the word of God. For 13 years, Josiah continued in this covenant with God. But remember in the beginning, there was a tenderness. There was a receptivity. He received the word of God. He recognized the word of God, whether it came from Holda, a woman, or came from these ancient scrolls. He knew the word of God when he heard it. And he received God's word as authoritative and what he needed to do. But Josiah lost the sensitivity to God's word after 13 years. We're told that when Necho, the king of Egypt, passed by Judah to fight with Assyria against Babylon, a battle that Josiah did not belong in, Josiah challenged Necho. And Necho wrote to Josiah, said, refrain from meddling with God who is with me, lest he should destroy you. In other words, Necho's not saying, I'm going to destroy you. He's saying, I'm so with God that if you try to come against me, you'll be opposing God because God is with me. But we're told in 2 Chronicles 36 verses 21 through 22 that Josiah did not heed the words of Necho from the mouth of God. Instead, Josiah disguised himself so he could fight in this battle. Whenever you have to present yourself as something other than what you really are, it's a clue that you're in the wrong place. It's a clue that you are doing what you are not supposed to be doing. Josiah had lost the sensitivity to God's word. Maybe it was because it was on from an unexpected source. But weren't the scrolls an unexpected source? Wasn't Huldah a woman rather than Jeremiah the prophet an unexpected source? We need to have such a tenderness and sensitivity to God's word that whether it comes from a doctor, nature, or even license plates. I know a man who used to, <laughs> the Lord would speak to him, don't ask me how, but from license plates. But we need to continue to cultivate a sensitivity to God's word. And there is a sensitivity when we are continually in it, not just obeying it or going through the motions, but giving it a daily priority. When we are in it daily, we will recognize it. When we recognize it, we will be tender towards it. 
So what are the lessons we learned from Josiah's life? Number one, God's word is able to convict, bring us into a covenant, help us to convince others, cleanse in the right way and the right things, and to bring joy and celebration in our lives. Secondly, we learn that we need to continue in God's word. Because when God's word is lost, the church is lost, the nation is lost, the world is lost, and we lose our lives, even as Josiah lost his life and was shot by a random arrow when he was in a place he was not supposed to be because he didn't listen to the word of God because he had lost that sensitivity. We need to be sensitive to God's word. Thirdly, when Josiah lost the sensitive to God's word, when he could no longer recognize it and hear it, when it no longer had the ability to humble him and direct him, he was in a dangerous place. He was involved in a crisis he didn't belong in. He became hypocritical, disguising who he really was. He was in a place he didn't belong. If you find yourself in such a predicament, Pray that God would return a sensitivity to you, to the word of God. When I get to a place where I am qualifying whether I listen to God's word by who the vessel is, like, oh, she's too young, or she's, you know, does this or does that, instead of receiving the word of God, I'm in a wrong place. I'm in a wrong place. And I've lost a sensitivity. God wants to speak. He wants to speak through young people. In fact, we're told that out of the mouth of babes, And infants, God has ordained praise. When we lose that sensitivity, so we cannot hear the word of God by the vessel that God is using, we are in a bad place. There is a need for us as believers to continue to cultivate an appetite and a sensitivity to God's word. Be on guard against any hardness or distance from God's word. Continue in God's word that you might continue to be convicted, Committed to, covenanted in, convinced by, cleansed, and celebrating. That's the continuance we need. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would give us such a sensitivity to your word, that your word would not be lost to our hearts, our minds, our souls. Lord, that you would cultivate in us a daily dependency on the word of God, that we need to hear it. We need to receive it. We need to live in it. Lord, that it would be as it was to Job, more necessary than our daily bread. Work that in us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. There are women up front that would love to pray with you, so come up front and get prayer. Get prayer for whatever you're going through, and let God's word speak to you in the very place that you need it. God bless you.